Welcome to Agent Investor, where you'll hear inspiring stories of active agents investing in real estate and building passive income. Join your host, investor and broker Tom Caffarella, as he dives into how active agents are delivering a high level of service to clients while spotting opportunities, negotiating with homeowners, signing deals, and building additional streams of income. You'll come away from each episode with practical tips, tactics, and action steps while being inspired to open your eyes to the potential deals that are all around you. After all, you have the skills, you have the market knowledge, you have access to the information. Why not leverage all those assets to invest for yourself, your family, and your future? If you're an active agent interested in investing in real estate and building passive income, this is your podcast. And now let's jump into this episode of Agent Investor. I'm your host, Tom Caffarella, and I have got a very, very interesting guest on today, Christina Wise. Christina, what's going on today? Hey, it's so much fun to be here with you today. Thank you for jumping on. So like I was kind of mentioning to you in the intro, um, most of the people who come on my podcast are, you know, one business, very boring. You've got a whole bunch of stuff going on. I, you know, I've always been that way. I, I like to be busy. I like having a lot of different plates in the air. Keeps life really exciting. Sometimes I wonder why. Like, is this a disease or, you know, so, so <laughs> some you, serious dysfunction? But, you know, I guess whatever keeps us happy, right? Yeah, I've got the same thing. So I, I was um, flying home from Tampa a couple of days ago reading a book. And every every business book I feel like I read tells me I've got to get more focused. And then you know, six months later, I start another business or I start doing something else. So I think like you mentioned, it's just about being happy. And I think, you know, doing new things is exciting to me in the business world. So you probably get some of the same stuff going on. So did you start out in real estate or were you in another career before you jumped into real estate? Real estate really has been my career. I started real estate in my late 20s in sales. Then in my mid-30s, I started my own brokerage. Then I became an investor. And then I created an online real estate training company that teaches real estate agents technology and successful sales strategies and tactics nationally. So it's been a fun ride, but I've been in all, I've been in all parts of real estate, real estate sales, real estate brokerage, real estate technology, real estate training. So you started as an agent? I did start as an agent. Yes, that's where I began. Okay. Tell us a little bit about that. Did you, you know, work for five years, 10 years before owning your own brokerage? What was kind of the path from getting to an agent to a broker? Yeah, for me, it was around seven years or so. But even when I was an agent, I was probably just an agent, a solo agent for the first few years. But I hired an assistant right off the bat because I knew that if I were going to be successful, as a, as a sales agent working with people, that real estate is a people business, and I need to spend my time with people, and I shouldn't be spending my time with paperwork. So I've always had, from the very beginning of my career, I always had like one assistant, but then I was one of the first at that time in the country to really start building a team underneath the bigger brokerage. So I was with one of the big box brokerages, uh-huh. and several agents that would work for me at the time. And then once I built that to a certain size, I thought, well, why don't I just do this on my own? So I left that and built my own brokerage. So one of the things, and I just got out of a meeting, I've got a real estate brokerage, I've got about 200 people. And one of the things I think everybody struggles with is they know they've got to be face-to-face with more buyers and sellers, and they know that's where their highest dollar per hour is. 
how did you get from an agent that maybe couldn't afford to have an admin to paying somebody? What was kind of that process like? Well, a lot of it has to do with your own confidence and your own tenacity. So I was going to sell houses and no matter what, I was going to figure out a way to find customers and go out and sell property. And I didn't really ever think there was a choice. So, so much of real estate sales, as you know, is you have to actually work. And I've had so many agents, you know, if you're a broker, Mm -hmm. then you know how many agents they have a, they have a license, but they don't really work. They don't really sell anything. They don't pick up the phone. They don't go out and network. They don't send out a marketing piece at least once a month. You know, it's just kind of waiting around for business to happen. Then they're very disillusioned when it doesn't happen. And then they don't have the money. And that's, you know, there's, I'm not judging that. I've had a lot of agents work for me. So, then you know, they're just bummed out. They didn't make the money. So the first thing I think with everything is just mindset. Mindset was, is that I was going to sell at a minimum three houses a month and at the beginning of my career. And so I just hired an admin and I don't know at the time, 10 bucks an hour or whatever, and trained them to allow me to go out and just hit my numbers. And so you know, I had a certain confidence that I could because I knew I would do whatever it takes to make that happen. So I love that. So I we, knew that they, what the only thing was going to keep me from happening is if I was sitting at the desk trying to do paperwork. So it was mindset, belief of self, and just going out to do whatever it took to to hit those numbers. So we we just initiating a new program with within our brokerage for new agents, and we call it the name of my brokerage is Cameron Real Estate Group, and we call it C ninety, and it's give us ninety days, we'll give you a career. But the, the premise of it is, is that you've got to work more than full time for your first 90 days. Like you've got to be putting in 50, 60, 70 hours for your first 90 days because that's make or break. And I can tell you from my experience as a broker owner, where we've failed is having people come on board and they're giving 20, 25 hours a week. They don't know what to do. And then all of a sudden they're out of real estate. So we, we designed a you know, program all around this and we're actually launching it. January 1st. So I can, I'll let you know how it goes, but um, yeah, that's, I think that's the biggest thing is you just got to put your head down in the beginning. Yeah. What a lot of, I think real estate agents, you know, because there's no accountability and so much flexibility and there's no real capital investment to get started Yeah. and it's easy to get your license. And we know the thing that, that because there's no accountability, people really don't know what to do to keep them busy or they do the wrong things to keep them busy or they'll do the laundry instead of getting on the phone. Yeah. If you're going to start a restaurant you have to have a certain capital investment. You expect to work 80 hours a week. You're going to be training people. You're going to be cooking half the time. You're going to be training chefs. You're going to wait tables and bartend if you have to. And you're going to put in the 80 to 100 hours a week for two years, probably, if that's what it takes to get off the ground. And you're not going to get in the restaurant business unless, you, unless you're, you know, you've got the ability to do that. It's like comes with the territory, like to start a restaurant and have it successful. And it, that's the case with any business. I just use that as, you know, use the restaurant because I think people could relate to how much time and capital would be required to get something off the ground. Well, so I think the, the, the biggest difference between those two is one's a proactive business and one's a reactive business. Exactly. So when you open your doors at a restaurant, guess what? People are coming in and you've got to deal with the problems. Whereas in real estate, guess what? You've got to create the problems. Your job is to actually create the problems and it's, it's something you've actually got to go out and do. So, exactly. But the expectation is, it's like, oh, I can do this part-time or 20 hours a week, or, yeah. you know, I can just do it kind of as a side project. And to be successful, especially the first 90 days, you're right. I mean, you have to go in and know I am living, breathing this until I finally get over this initial hump. 
So did you hit that mark in year one? Did you hit the three listings a month on average? Yeah, I did that very quickly. I mean, early in my career, one, because I just didn't get myself an option. So that is doable. And, and, you know, and then I, you know, I learned from people, I mean, I'd do anything. I mean, I'd sit open houses. I would, I'd sit open houses five days a week if I had to, to hit my three. I would pick up the phone at the time and just call, cold call it, whatever. I would talk, go out and talk to builders and see if they had any extra clients that I could help drive around. I had coffee appointments. I mean, I, I was brand new to my city and I was young and didn't know what I was doing, but real estate is really just about relationships and going out to build those relationships and helping people buy houses. But it takes, it takes a, you have to want to do it. So how many hours a week do you think you were doing on average in that first year? Oh, easy, easy 60. I mean, just, yeah, for sure. Yeah. 60, like on a light week. On a light week. I mean, but yeah, bare minimum. And then I don't know how many I went over that, but it would certainly not be less than that at any, any period of time. So you, you, you pretty much had an admin from day one, which obviously allowed you to leverage yourself out. At what point did you start to have agents on your team? And what did that look like? Because like you mentioned, when, when, when did teams really come in vogue? I mean, I've been, I've been in real estate for 10 years. I feel like they came in vogue. They weren't even in vogue from day one for me. So I, I'm trying to think of when they really. No, kind of was, yeah, I think, let's see. I think I was starting to build my team right around 2000. I'm aging myself. Yeah. So right around 2000, we had the tech crash around then and, you know, trying to build those. And then probably by the time we got through the crash, it was about 2005 is the time that I had several agents working for me in one of the big brands. And then 2008 just when I left and started my own brokerage with probably around 15 agents at the time. Mm. So you went from being an independent agent and then the agents on your team, what did that look like? Did they, were they working your buyer leagues? Were you ha- holding them accountable? What, what, what did that kind of look like from an overall perspective? Yeah. So, I mean, organically, I grew my team under the big box because I just had, I was generating a lot of business and I needed the, the help to catch, you know, to take care of those that I couldn't handle. And then I was able to be a little bit more discerning around the price range that I wanted to work with, the type of client. And then I'd refer everybody else out to, to my team members. And I started working with developers. And, and uh, But by the time I did my own brokerage, then it was beyond just my own leads. And so then I wanted to be more about the brand, the culture, about growing agents, like what you're doing, really building my my dream was really technology to just really have a really technically sound, efficiently run, innovative, more leading edge versus antiquated type business model that was less bricks and mortar and more working. This is 2008, right when tech was really starting to happen. Mm. Really just building that culture. So, and making it a fun place, a great place to work. And then to train agents, what I had learned and some of the you know, what had made me successful so that then they could go ahead and maybe adopt some of those mindsets and, and work some of those practices, the standard practices that I was in that enabled me to have a very successful sales career. Mm, awesome. So you started your own brokerage, did you say in 05 or 08? I started my own brokerage in 08. It was perfect timing right when the, right before the crash happened. I mean, maybe a month before everything went south. So it was one of those things, like most things in life, it was the worst of times, like the worst timing, because I mean, everything, I was at the height of my career and then everything crashed. 
Mm-hmm. On the other hand, it was the best time because when everything started crashing, I had to get very innovative and in learn in figuring out how to keep my business alive and how to feed my children and 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 how to grow this business that I basically just launched and put my capital in and and left what I was doing with you know something fairly risky. And I came out at the time and and again, this is really when WordPress was brand new. Twitter was brand new. Facebook was pretty new as far as, you know, as far as mainstream public. So that's what I did at the time. I just really got interested in tech. And I I was one of the first, if not the first real estate brand that built a full website on WordPress and real estate. I was one of the first on Twitter, one of the first on Facebook and and one of the first on LinkedIn back then, actually, and really used those channels to build my brand. I was the first brokerage to build, you know, my entire suite of tools off the iPad and just all this back-end tech that made from kind of soup to nuts lead gen all the way through contract to close with integrating transaction management, lead generation, like CRMs and transaction management. And I don't know what other tools we're using at the time, like Evernote and note-taking and, and really just bundling these suites of tools to really help my agents be really successful. So that was really, you know, that was ahead of its time, I guess. And that's where I just went on to speak nationally and, and build that brand. And in turn with those, not only like my sales background, but the success I had as far as real estate technology and how we survived during that crash and didn't even survive. We were selling more real estate than any brokerage in town really at that time when it was really hard to sell. So how did that crash impact you? What, what strategically did you have to change once that started to happen? Well, it was very similar, like to the beginning of my career, where you you know you have become very scrappy, and one, and then two, innovative. Like, okay, what worked yesterday doesn't work anymore. So, how are we going to go out and generate business? And that really is what got me interested. Is like, oh, there's these social tools. Can I take advantage of those? And can I? I mean, I don't remember what I did other than one is cut costs down to nothing because you know there's always that expense creep when you're making a lot of money. Those expenses can creep up. So cut expenses and then really just went to say, to ask the question, how do we survive in this market? What do we do differently? And how do we get our brand out? And I mean, I would put flyers on doors at the time. I mean, back to like my beginning days in real estate. Sometimes I think we think, you know, we're too good for that or, wow, I don't do that anymore. And it's like, nope, whatever it takes to survive and get through this. And so it was actually a fun time. We survived and thrived and really built a national brand out of a, out of a crash because I think of that scrappiness. So I, I know a little bit about paperless agent for the people who, who don't know much about it. Can you give us kind of a brief overview of how that got started and your role in it and everything like that? Well, at the time, back in those days, the, I mean, this, the quick version is, is that we're doing so well at real estate, just good life. And, you know, it's a business model. It's a new real estate business model that was really on the foundation of technology. So I had agents all over the country and brokers for that matter saying, will you franchise? Can we buy a, a real estate? Can we buy a good life franchise? And I'm like, no, I don't have a franchise. And I didn't want to do bricks and mortar. And I thought that, that the franchise model in bricks and mortar was going to slowly die was my prediction at the time. So I thought, but I want to scale. I want to help other agents that really want to model what I've done so that they they don't have to build it from scratch. And so that's what the paperless agent began was really building at the beginning, really of an online business as far as is training and technology to help agents. You know, we did it all through video training and, and groups and forums and whatever the agents needed across the country, worked with associations and just really became a really powerful training platform 
to help agents learn how to increase their business by learning how do you build a, a, a beautiful slide deck for a listing presentation on your iPad. And we just sell those or, and we, you know, we'd craft the narrative so that agents could go learn exactly what to say during a listing presentation, which is more or less what I said mm-hmm. at the time. So, you know, just, we started, you know, one thing at a time and turned it into now it's just a national training company for real estate agents who want some training and coaching to help them increase their sales and, and learn the tools required in today's age to be able to do that. So from a business perspective, obviously, you you could have probably franchised. I mean, basically, the stuff that you've built out on Paperless Agent is essentially a franchise without somebody franchising. What made you do that versus franchising? Like, what were the negatives to franchising? And what made you kind of go down the path that you ended up going down? Well, for me, franchising, when I really... And I went pretty deep into the franchise model because I, I actually... I knew like intuitively I didn't want to do it, but everybody was asking for it and everybody saying that's what you should do. I'm thinking, well, maybe I'm wrong here. Maybe I should start listening to this. So I went pretty deep into the research and I realized that I was in the real estate business and I wanted to help real estate agents to succeed. And that was my real passion. I wanted to help buyers and sellers and I wanted to help agents succeed so they can help more buyers and sellers because we in real estate do a good service when we're good and we do good by our customer. And we need to be able to make money. And it's really hard as an independent person to try to figure out how to do these things alone. So if I can help them, then I'm helping what I care about. Like the whole cycle from, you know, agent to customer to their house. And, and that's just always been my mission that we in real estate do good work. And, and so I wanted to help agents do good work. When I studied about, when I studied the franchise model, it's not the real estate business anymore. It's a franchise business. Then you become in the franchise sales business and it's all about the franchise. And that was just a layer between me and the agent and a layer between me and the customer. And that's not the business I wanted to be in. I wanted to be in the people business with agents and customers I cared about. Yeah, right. Because I guess if you if you think about it, you franchise, you can only help a fraction of people, right? You can only you can only really truly help the people that are in the franchise system. Whereas with what you're doing now, you can serve pretty much anybody who wants help. Yeah. I mean, we serve agents with any company. It's, it's company agnostic and, and it's just whatever, you know, agent, it doesn't matter what their company, their, what company they're with, you know, sometimes with some companies, they might offer some of what we do and some others they don't. So you can just give whatever suite of services you'd like. And, but yeah, that way I didn't have to be with my, what my, my brand, I could just teach what worked through as a real estate broker and through the success of my agents to other agents. And I, I it had nothing to do with my personal brand. Awesome. So what year was it that you started building that? Oh, I think that was 2010, probably 2010 by the time I started building paperless, 2010, 11, and maybe, maybe 11, no, probably close to 12, 11, 12 actually is when I started paperless somewhere in there. And what did that business look like on day one? And how have you kind of scaled it out? I'm sure that could probably probably be a few hours, but, you know, the high-level overview. Well, I mean, like any business, kind of scrappy, bootstrapping entrepreneur, you fail your way to success. It's all trial and error. You think you know something, and it completely doesn't work. And Like and, what? What, what? What did you think was going to work in the beginning? Because I always have this happen. I think I've got this great idea. Sometimes I do this with my goals. I'll set a goal, and then I'll look back at it two years later, and I'm like, wow, you were a moron. Like, how could you ever have thought that that idea was going to work? So tell us, give us like one that you were like, this is going to take off. People are going to love it. And then it didn't work out. 
Well, so much of it many times is just a knowledge gap. So I built such a brand and identity nationally and I had all these people following me on all these social channels and and I just thought it was going to be a breeze to convert this to an online model when my entire background was real estate sales and really a bricks and mortar brokerage. And I knew nothing about the online business. And so it was harder than I thought it would be really learning. How do you do online marketing? How do you build these courses online? How do you do group coaching? And and now it's actually much easier. But there's tools like Teachable or Thinkific where it makes it really easy to, to put on products like training products. And there's just so much cool tech that, and even online marketing and what you can do with Facebook now and the different channels. Not that, I mean, it's more complicated in the sense that there's a lot more players in the market and a lot more tools. But back in the day, we had to build all this stuff from scratch. I mean, we had big cameras overhead. We couldn't just do it through the computer the way we can do it now. So it's just a lot of dono dono. And it was a lot more expensive than I thought it would be. And I let a lot of customers down that, that, you know, they signed up with me because my dream and everything I said was sounded great and was really big, but I didn't have any infrastructure actually fulfill on the great idea. Mm. So, you know, it just learned over time. And, you know, it, 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 like with anything, I've done several startups now. What I've realized it's when I was in the real estate business and I helped people build houses and we'd work with a builder, I'd always let them know. I'd say, okay, here's the thing. It's going to take three times as long and pretty much almost three times as much as you think it's going to be. So just manage those expectations. And if it comes in less than that, then we're in good shape. But just know we're not going to hit this deadline. It's going, there, there's always going to be mess ups or change orders or whatever the case is. So just set those expectations. And you're always going to go over budget. Same with startup. What I've learned with startup is it's going to take three times as long. We're not entrepreneurs if we're not uberly over, you know, overly optimistic as entrepreneurs. I mean, otherwise you're not an entrepreneur. <laughs> so uh, we, are, we automatically think it's going to succeed. Otherwise, why would we do it in the first place? Even if it's ridiculous, we go in it, this is absolutely going to see, succeed no matter what, I've got this. And that's what makes us special, you know, in that sort of way that we just, that's that, you know, that optimism. Let's take a quick break from the episode. To get weekly video trainings and connect with other agent investors, join our free private Facebook group. Just go to joincamerancoaching.com and we'll add you to the group. We'd love to see you there. Did you have a mentor through this process at all or anybody that kind of showed you the path to get an online business or did you just do it yourself and fail and make corrections and fail and make corrections? Well, once I failed, then I thought there must be a business model or someone out there doing it. So, you know, finally, I did start to study the business model and followed different leaders in the space once I realized that there is such a business as an online business model. And I didn't wasn't just kind of making it up from scratch. And yeah, it's funny to even think back to that. But that was my thing. My advice to entrepreneurs is, is really in, you know, real estate agents, are entrepreneurial in that way. You know, when you're going off on your own to, to do a business, it's more of a solopreneur, but it's still the beginnings of that. But it's, you know, you're always kind of building the plane and flying the plane at the same time and tr- trying to figure out how to do both of those, which, you know, is, it sounds kind of crazy. And then it's going to take three times as long and probably three times as much money as you think it's going to. And just to, you know, set some, ecta- some, set some ex- expectations around that. So you've got a, in, an investing background too. So can you give us kind of the overview of that as well? Well, it's really a big place, even with real estate agents, is that what what I do now is I teach money. 
And I really love teaching money to real estate professionals because what I learned from my early in my own career, you can make a lot of money, you can make a lot of commissions, but if you're stuck on that commission to commission hamster wheel, life is really brutal, even with high six figure, even second, seven figure commissions for that matter. And it's because we don't really understand money. And so I did that myself, but I really became interested once I realized like, oh, I can make a lot of money and not have a lot of money and one life breakdown and then you're broke, like going through 2008, for example, when everybody lost everything and had nothing, didn't, you know, nobody even had a, a pot to pee in basically. Yep. Just learning that there's a difference between income and assets. And so I see real estate agents work so hard to earn income and many times high incomes, but they think that's just going to last forever. And there becomes a time with most agents or brokers for that matter, where you reach total burnout, where you're just thinking, my gosh, I just thought it would be easier. Like, seriously, do I have to go out again today and go find that next customer? I've been doing this for 10 years or 15 years or 20 years or 25 years. Mm-hmm. And so the whole goal is, you know, that what's so beautiful about real estate, but it's just a mindset that's not t- thought or a pattern that's not thought, is the beauty with real estate is generate those commissions, get really good at it, and, you know, high commission income. But it's really important. To, the, great, the game is not to stay in the real estate business, sales business, all, you know, your entire career. The game is to replace your real estate active income with real estate passive income. And that's the journey. The journey, if it's 5, 10, 15, 20 years, is to make sure that you, you're, the whole goal is at some point in the future, I'm in the real estate business. I should be buying real estate. <laughs> it's what I know, not just selling it. So I sell it in order to buy it to a place that sometime in the future, the cash flow from that portfolio of real estate replaces my commission income. So now I don't have to work so hard, or at least I don't have to be commissioned to commission. And that's the game that nobody teaches real estate. It's, it is the real estate game. It's the, it's the power of the game. It's what we have. And when we get to put our commissions towards the price or towards the cost and or in and we know, I mean, we know neighborhoods, we know rentals, we know all these things when you're successful in real estate. It's like, why don't all real estate agents and brokers own a boatload of real estate? That's, it's never made one ounce of sense to me. Um, you know, I'm, I'm an investor first and, a, you know, a brokerage owner second. And, you know, the majority of my agents don't invest in real estate and it doesn't make sense to me because nobody knows real estate better than them. And the other part to that is real estate agents don't have a retirement plan. I mean, we don't have 401ks. We don't have really anything. So, I mean, you've got to buy income producing assets or learn how to invest or, you know, that money's going to run out. So what, how did you do it? Did you, did you start with a single family or a condo or a multifamily? Like how, how was your progression into the investing world? Well, mine was, my first was to buy a duplex and I lived in one side of the duplex. <laughs> and then from there, I, I've done two things. I mean, what I always recommend to get started, basically, unless you have just a ton of cash, but to you buy your first house as an investment property. Yep. As many times, even if you have to stay in a rented apartment, but do that and understand the cash flow game and understand how that works. And then if you want to buy your first, if it's still in the mindset, buy, even if you're going to live in that house as a primary residence, buy that house as an investment property versus your primary residence. That's the starting place. Mm-hmm. Because then you're going to treat that house differently than a primary residence, which will make it likely a better investment. Your second house can be your primary resident if you residence if you want to. But that's the thing. Buy your and this is what I teach my kids. Your first house, buy it as an investment property because you get the bug, you understand how it works. 
you see what's possible. And then even if you live in it or not, or get a roommate or not, or Airbnb a room or not, or whatever, even if you just live in it and don't cash flow it, when you think I'm only staying here for a period of time till I can buy the second house, mm-hmm. and if this will become the investment property or the next one, it's just a whole different orientation than just buying a house to live in it. And it's always your primary residence. And maybe you sell that primary residence by the next primary residence, but a primary residence is not an asset. Mm-hmm. It does not produce cash flow. Assets are cash flows. So if it, unless your primary residence you're generating cash flow by renting out rooms or something, it will never be an asset. It should never be on the portfolio. I mean, on the balance sheet. It's, so, a, it's a huge negative. I can tell you right now, I just upgraded homes and, my biggest liability is that that monthly payment every month. So it is. It always is. Plus every you know the rest of the cost of it. So oh yeah, the rest of the cost, all the upgrades we want to do, and all right. that stuff, man. Yeah, it's not looking good. Luckily, I do want a lot of rental real estate, which pays for it, but um, definitely not a good place to start. So I'm a successful agent. I come to you. I say, I get it. I'm gonna buy my first as a duplex or you know three family or whatever. What what should my next five years look like in terms of income producing assets? What should I shoot for? What's reasonable for, for an agent to accumulate over a five-year period? Well, everything depends on income. So the first, what I do teach is that 20% off the top of every commission. I mean, part of what I say, for example, is, okay, do you get to keep 100% of every commission? No. Why not? You got to pay the house. Unless you, unless you are the house and then you've got to pay your overhead. So either way, you're not keeping 100%. No, and there's this thing called taxes. I forgot about that. that yeah, that's so right key. off the top, 100%, you don't get to keep, and I made that mistake early in my career. I didn't really know about I needed to shave off money to pay the tax man. So when we're 1099 or we're commission income, if the, our, the tax doesn't come out of our paycheck, Uncle Sam collects the money right off the, you know, collects the money right off the top of the W-2, but then Uncle Sam, we have to sweep or we have to take money off because if we spend 100% of our, our income, Uncle Sam's going to come after us. And that's not pretty. Been there, done that. Mm-hmm. So this thing is, is that what I teach is there's our current self and future self. And our future self, to your point in real estate, we don't have a retirement plan. So at some point in the future, our bodies are going to age. Our bodies are going to get tired. We're not going to work as hard as we can when we're younger. We're going to want to slow down. We may even want to officially retire, but we can't if we don't have passive income. So the future self will not have passive income. So what is passive income? There's two types of income. There's working income and there's non-working income, active income and passive income. So when we're out there beating the streets, to sell houses, to make a living, to produce those commissions, that is hard work, it's active income. Mm-hmm. At some point, we don't want to work that hard. So the only thing that's going to pay the bills is cash flow, and that cash flow needs to come from somewhere other than our hard work. So the question is, is where is that money going to come from in the future? And then how are we going to get it? So the only way to get that is to start building a portfolio of assets. We're in the real estate business. That's why I think it should be real estate, but you know, we should have some diversification also. But right off the top, Uncle Sam gets Uncle Sam's money. The next thing that needs to come off the top is 20% that you put in your investing bucket. Mm-hmm. And you just put cash there until you can afford the down payment for the next investment property. And mm-hmm. always, you're just always sweeping that 20%. I've always swept more because I've kept my expenses really low because I'd rather get to the place where my passive income, I'd rather live off a little bit less today to be able to put more away to build that cash flow, that future cash flow as quickly as possible so that... I reach the place as quickly as possible where my passive income can replace my working income, which is what the definition of financial freedom. 
So that's it. It's just there's no real timeline. Everybody, you have to work it backwards based on your number. But my thing is, is you just sweep, you sweep your taxes off the top and you sweep your your investment bucket money off the top and you just keep you that's a lifelong practice mm-hmm. when you happen when that bucket's full enough to dump it into a down payment to buy your next investment property you dump it in and then the next sweep's going in for the next investment property and that just becomes like i said it's, it's part of the lifestyle and what's the biggest obstacle that you see with the people that you're working with to achieve that well you there's this financial principle that says in order to build wealth you have to spend less money than you make And the problem is in the culture that we're in and the fact that we just don't have a lot of money since we've never been taught. And especially in a high income business like commission, that's variable, which you don't quite know when that next paycheck is coming. There's just a tendency we spend everything we make and then some, which is why people have credit card debt and you can't be wealthy and have credit card debt. They are mutually exclusive. That means we're spending more than we make, which is the opposite of building wealth. So it really, the life, we just have to adopt a, 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 you know, a mindset and principle of spend less than you make. And in my case, take off taxes and you spend 20% after taxes less than you make and you live off the rest, basically. And I teach a more methodology for, you know, the savings piece too. But basically, you live off more or less 50% of your income because by the time you take off your taxes, your investment income, you, go, you can only spend 50% of that of what you make of every commission is kind of how, you know, 60% at the most. But you just have to train yourself, especially with these big, you know, nice monthly commissions, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, $50,000 a month. The tendency is to the expense creep. Oh, I'm making more money. So now I can get the fancier car. Now I can get the fancier house. Now I can go on the fancier vacations and our expenses always rise to match income versus no, doesn't matter how much income you just sweep it. The more income you make, the more you're sweeping because that 20% means, you know, just, you know, bigger numbers. So you're also a best-selling author. And are the principles in that book pretty much what you just explained, or is there more to it than, than that? I mean, it, it goes into a little bit more detail, but the gist of it is just that. I mean, really, it's, it's, it sounds so silly, but the real key to building true wealth and future passive income, passive income means it's cash flow from your assets that's, that you're not having to work for that money. So that's what passive income is. It doesn't have to be Amway. It's your passive income is your cash flow from your real estate portfolio, for example. So the only way to achieve that is to spend less than you make because you're never going to have the money to ever do it. And if you keep waiting for some time in the future, it will never come. It has to start today. So we talked about the beginning of your career. You were working minimum 60 hours a week, probably putting in more like 80 or 90 on on the weeks you you were killing it. Um, you did that for a while and then one day you had, what was it, a health scare or you just realized that you couldn't do it anymore? What, what exactly happened? Yeah, that, that was a big year. Well, up until 2012, you know, I basically didn't understand that, you know, what I teach now and my business is wealthy, wealthy, but that our bodies are number one investment. So Anything that's a true investment, you're an investor. So you understand the concept of ROI and you're always looking to produce a return. I mean, for example, would you ever invest in anything you know you're going to take a loss on? No. And a negative ROI? Of course not. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it's understanding the concept of return on investment and knowing you're putting time, money, and energy and resources into something to produce a return, a gain. You never do that to produce a loss. So those financial principles can go across the board, but... When it comes to health, what I learned is that I was living a lifestyle. I did that for too long and not just because I had to, to make ends meet, but it became almost an addiction and a lifestyle. I was an adrenaline junkie. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Basically, my body just broke in 2013. So I learned the hard lessons, a few hard lessons. But basically, the lesson is, is all the money in the world doesn't matter if you don't have your health. Mm -hmm. You know, by the way, when you're in real estate or you're a business owner, when you when you're stuck in bed, you can't make money. So it's just, it's a, it's a double negative, right? That not only can you not enjoy the money you've been making, but now you can't even make the money that, that you were making because you're in bed, which yeah. is why everybody needs disability insurance, by the way, but that's another conversation. But that, so I've just, um, yeah, I had a health crisis. I was out of the game for almost a year. It took me a full year and then three years since really to fully recover my health. But the big, what I realized in financial terms as an investor using investing terms is that my body is my number one asset. And what that means is I have to invest in it. You can't get rich on real estate investments if you don't invest in the first place. Mm -hmm. My body's an asset, meaning I use it to make money. I use it to enjoy life. If my body's sick and I can't do any of that, then I just learned that I need to become as as good as an investor in my body and my health, my, my mind, my emotions, my physical health. I need to invest become as good of an investor in myself as I am in real estate and other investments. So what what does that look like? What does that look like for you on a day-to-day? Well, on a day-to-day, first of all, financially, I sweep off the top. I sweep 5% of my income actually to go into what I call my self-investment bucket. Mm -hmm. So off the top is 20% that goes towards financial investments. And then 5% off the top goes towards health investments. Mm -hmm. And so I invest financially. And then we have to take time and space to take care. What it looks like is, you know, my diet is very important because what we're learning is food matters. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very uh, thoughtful and cognizant and cautious with food. I, you know, I do, I exercise regularly. I meditate on a daily basis you know, I just really minimize the stress in my life. Like I have fun, but life is not so serious as it was before. So really working, stress is a killer. It's causing all sorts of disease. It's one of probably the number one disease um, causers outside of just bad food and toxic environments. My environment's very important to me. My relationships are very important to me. So really it's just this idea that that I matter and I, uh, how I know I matter is how I invest in myself in all different categories. And so constant self-growth, self-love, that means the, you know, the food and the, you know, the, the relationships, everything in my life is very thoughtful and is by design. And really I come first, you know, I invest in me. So I have more of me to offer to everyone else. And if that becomes out of balance or I'm giving too much and it's not reciprocal by nature, I'm starting to feel stressed and strung out and all these things. I'm just sort of like, nope, I'm not making the right investment. So with all investment as an investor, you know, compound interest, and you know, invest over, you know, the investing and appreciation over time, but it takes time and money. You put money in and it takes time. Same with your body. You need to put money in it and we have to take the time. We're cramming ourselves too much. We're not making space and time to be healthy, to meditate, to be mindful, to spend time relationships, to just, you know, take a chill pill. Yeah. So, you know what I've found because I'm an extreme workaholic, I, I do two, two very simple things. Gym first thing in the morning, every day. Okay. Because what I found is that once my day gets going, now I want to work more. Mm-hmm. So first thing in the morning, it's done. And there's, there's never anything from six to seven in the morning. Business-wise, it's so super important that you can't do that. And then I have all my meals prepared for me. And I've got them sitting right outside my office right now in a refrigerator. They're boring as anything, what, what's in these containers. But 
they uh, they keep me in shape. So those are those are the two simple things that I I personally do. So yeah. what are you working on right now? So what's your biggest project today? Ooh, that's such a great question. What's, no, what's your most favorite project? Yeah, well, really where my business is. So I'll tell a quick story because we're probably running to the end of your time. And so it's really funny, just this latest iteration of my life, for example. But when I, I, I studied, so when I was early in my career, I made a lot of money, commission to commission income. I found myself divorced with two children, single mom. My business broke down. We all know we're commission business only. So, you know, I, I, that my business fell apart as I was going through divorce. So I woke up, even though I'd been this high income earner and was living, you know, living this lifestyle that I thought was what you did with all that money. Now here I am single, two kids, can't pay the light bills, friends at work had to like drop off furniture and clothing so that, and I was just so ashamed. I was just so ashamed that how am I here that I'm in this place where colleagues at work are basically having to pay my light bill. I mean, this is horrible. Mm -hmm. I was one of the top producers in town, right? I mean, here I was being, holding that, you know, being in that position and now I can't pay my light bill. Mm-hmm. So I just made it this personal mission of mine to get good at money now and, and become an investor, basically, to true build, you know, the learning that income and wealth are two different things. And as a high income earner, you can be a high income broke person. Mm-hmm. And wealth is a different game. Wealth is a mindset and, my, and wealth is a strategy. And it, it's a practice and a technique. Mm-hmm. So I just went to study that and spend a decade doing it. Then in 2013, and did it well, like built businesses and, you know, built, uh, you know, real estate investment portfolios and did really well. But I used and abused my body in the process, mm-hmm. had a health crisis in 2013, like I said. So I learned at that point, like I said, like, holy shit, I mean, I've got to take care of my body. Like, this isn't worth it if I, if I can't enjoy it myself. And I mean, I, I, I nearly died. So it was a close call. But what I thought of at the beginning, I thought, oh, as long as I make a lot of money, that will solve all my problems. Then once I got sick, I learned this lesson that, oh, it's not just the money. Money matters and it's really important, but it's not just about the money and we have to take care of ourselves. So that's where I created this new part of my life and my business called Wealthy Wealthy with the health wealth being W-E-L-L-T-H-Y. So wealthy money, wealthy mm-hmm. health. And we need that the game needs to be to know, know how to take care of these both. And if you take care of both of those, then life can be pretty good. Well, this last phase of my life, to answer your question, is that I'm going through a divorce right now, and it's not pretty. And what do, well, what do you mean this last phase? You're you're not you're not near your last phase yet. No, I mean this last, <laughs> like, this last six months. I yeah, this yeah. last six, six months, my my dear father passed away, mm-hmm. going through a divorce, and. And divorce, by the way, is a really bad financial strategy. It yes. destroys your wealth. So um, I made a decision to go to make this decision, even though I basically am wiping out my financial freedom because I'm cutting at least in half everything yeah. that I've worked so hard to build. But the thing is, is what I realized through this last phase of my life, while going through a divorce, my financial situation being cut in half, all that hard work being just sliced in half and then some. And then with my father dying, I, I just kind of realized this place that, you can have all the money in the world, but that doesn't mean the rest of the life works out. If your if your health sucks and or your relationship sucks, it doesn't. The money is really not that much fun. Mm-hmm. Then then that second phase is like I thought. Okay, if I have my money and my health, the relationship will just work itself. All the relationships will work itself out because I have all the money and health, and that should be enough. Mm-hmm. But what I've learned to this last you know few months that I've been through and just going through it is this real epiphany and realization of. Oh my gosh, Christina, I was in a place. I had plenty of money. 
And I just, I mean, optimal health. I mean, I've just worked so hard on my health and I've learned and I've worked with the top health gurus in the world to, to on this mission through my podcast and different things to learn health and teach health. But I learned you can have all the money and your health, but if your relationship, especially your most important love relationship isn't good, it really takes away from the health and wealth. You still don't, not just loving life. And so to answer your question, my next work, my next piece of my work through my brand and what I'm everything I'm teaching and my events and workshops and just all my material that's about to come out, my newest book I'm going to be writing is that there's this, there's this, there's this trinity and it's, it's a trifecta and really the secret of life. I think now based on my most recent lessons is money matters. We have to get good at money and it's not an incumbent game. It's an asset game. Mm-hmm. we need to worry about the balance sheet, not the income statement. As an investor, you know what that means. Mm-hmm. And people that don't have a balance sheet, the first thing they need to do is go figure out the balance sheet and what should be on it and how to get one, how to create one. The second piece, like I said, is that we have to take care of ourselves and, and just conventional wisdom is killing us and hurting us or, or these convenience lifestyles just aren't sustainable. Like there is a consequence. So we have to learn to take care of ourselves and make an investment. But so in money terms, money, as balance sheet. Health needs to be on our balance sheet. Our body is our number one asset. On my balance sheet is my body, and I look at that as an investment. But my latest thing, what was missing on my balance sheet before this last kind of my last life crisis, if you will, mm-hmm. is that the, the next thing on the balance sheet outside of financial investments are relationships. Mm-hmm. Because what is, what, is all the, what is all your good health and everything you're doing and all the success and money if your relationships aren't healthy, if they're not growing, if they're not, if you're not putting work into that. So I just learned that, you know, all these areas of life, they're bold, they're rich, they're awesome, they're fun, and they take work and it, we have to want to grow with them and, and get our hands in them and want to make them better. And relationships are a key piece in that. In fact, I think it's the most important thing on the balance sheet. Because when our relationships are an investment, time, energy, money, and we allow them to compound because we put so much into them and we work at them and we care about them, they will turn more return probably in the terms of just feeling good and and all the things that can come out of great relationships that you can make more money and be healthier, especially emotionally healthier. So it's these three things that now that are on part of this latest part of my work that I'm working on to just to think of money, health, and relationships is all part of our balance sheet. Awesome. Well, you've got a very, very inspirational story. Um, how can our listeners reach out to you? Well, I wanted to do some, some, something special for you and all your listeners because it's awesome. just an honor to be here. So I have a link I created for you. It's just podcast.fallingformoney.com. Okay. And anybody can go there and receive a digital copy of my book. So if you want to offer that to your, your listeners, feel free. And that's a, that's a great place to start. And then uh, my brand wealthy wealthy is if anybody wants some read blogs or whatever, that's always, I'm always, I'm always showing up writing something or on a Facebook live or who knows. It's pretty easy to find me in other words. What is the uh, URL of the blog? The blog is Wealthy Wealthy, which is W-E-A-L-T-H-Y, W-E-L-L-T-H-Y dot life, Wealthy Wealthy Life. Awesome. Well, Christina, I want to thank you for coming on today. 
Thanks for listening to Agent Investor, and especially thank you for sharing the show with other agents and reviewing the show on iTunes. Every time you share the show, you are potentially changing someone's life. To get weekly video trainings and connect with other agent investors, join our free private Facebook group. Just go to joincameroncoaching.com and we'll add you to the group. We'd love to see you there. And stay tuned for the next episode of Agent Investor.